Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome back to Babylon Talmud. Today we're studying Daf Nun of Masechta Sachim, Daf 50. Uh, we're going to continue with some interesting Agaritas today. And then we will begin the fourth parak of Masechta Sachim. Um, some interesting notes. Um, now, you know, I often, okay, most people, I imagine many people probably know that I record Babylon Talmud a little bit in advance. And, um, today, on the day that I'm recording this, is actually going to be the funeral of my grandfather, who, um, was a member of, of, of our Babylon Talmud WhatsApp group. And I, I you know, I was wondering, I was trying to wonder, like, what's the connection between, um, you know, my grandfather has been doing Dafyomi since before I'm born. This was, this was currently, he was in the middle of his seventh Dafyomi cycle, um, when he passed away. And I was trying to think, like, what's the connection between Dafyomi, which was, um, such a big part of his life, and, and him. And we'll get to some things, I think. But, you know, I was trying to figure out all sorts of, like, gematrias and things. Like, some of them got pretty close. Like, Ruvain ben Chaim, which is his name, is gematria is, um, 379. And the daf on the day that he passed away was, um, Psachm daf Memches, which is the 363rd daf in all of Shas. So it was pretty close, but close, but no cigar. 363 and 379. And even the doctor that I learned, and I was on the phone with him when he passed away, just by coincidence. And, um, I, I learned Daf 370 that, that day. Oh no, Daf Memches is 370, Daf Mem Alf is 363, but, so again, close, but no cigar. But then I realized that, you know what, this Daf that, um, at least I'm, um, that, that, that at least I'm learning today, there, there are a few things that we can, uh, connect to him, so we're not gonna spend the whole, uh, daf talking about him, but in a few places where, where there's an appropriate, um, connection, I, th- I think maybe that, that, that would be appropriate to remember him in the context of, of a daf of Gemara. Okay, um, so let us begin. On Dafnun um, Aleph in the third line, so the pasuk in Zechariah says, Bayomahu, and it'll be on that day, or Yikarus Vikipon. There won't be a light of Yikarus Vikipon, and just like you're wondering, what's Yikarus Vikipon? Well, the Gemara is also wondering that. My Yikarus Vikipon. What does it mean that there won't be a light of Yikarus Vikipon? So Amr. Rebelazer says Rebelazer Zeor Shayakar Balam Hazav Kafir Lalam Haba. Okay, says Rebelazer this is light. Interesting that light in this world is very precious when it's sunny out. I guess it's very we like the sun, but in uh, the world to come, sun is just going to be a given. I don't exactly know what that means to be honest, but light, which is very sort of I guess not as. Uh, I don't know, which is more special in this world, in the world to come will be just, I don't know, more common. Alright. Rabbi Yochanan Amr says, Rabbi Yochanan, Elu Nagoyim Ve'o'alos Sheikarnin Ba'olam Hazav Ikfuyin Ha'in Lo'olam Haba. These are the Mishnais, the Mesechtas of Nagoyim and O'alos. 
that they are um, very difficult in this world, but in the world to come, they aren't such a big deal. And this, I think, is something that's appropriate for my grandfather because, yeah, he was always learning. He was always learning Dafyomi, um, 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 but also he was always learning Mishnayis and Navi and Chumash and saying to him, you know, he wasn't. He was. He was. He was just very deeply connected to the fundamentals, to the core things, and so he would. So, in addition to Dafyomi, he was always learning a masechta of Mishnayis, and for some reason, it feels like it wasn't just any masechta of Mishnayis. I don't know why, but it feels like he was always learning like Nigayim and Olos. Like when we were learning masechta Shabbos at the very beginning, well, in, in the first parak, when we got to those difficult dafs about Tuma and Tara. So there was the Gemara there about the Zav, the Zav and his baggie. And I was talking to him on the phone, and he, he, he had to turn off the Babylon Talmud um, presentation because he had recently learned Masech the Zavin, and he was just, he, he was, he was, there, there, there was, uh, he had a lot more context for it, and so he just kind of decided that he was going to do it on his own. Um, and also, for some reason, recently he was learning Masech Kalim, and when we were learning Masech Kinim um, about a year and a half ago, or a little bit less, he had recently learned Masech Kinim. So he was always learning these difficult Mishnayas, I don't know why, but anyways, so here is, um, so the Gemara says that these are uh, the tractates of Negoyim and Oalos that are very difficult in the world to come, in this world, in the world to come, they are not as difficult, which is very interesting. Um, okay. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi Amar. I said Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Elu bnei Adam. These are people. Sheikarinein ba'olam hazeh v'kfuyinein lo'olam haba. These are people that are very honored in this world, but aren't such a big deal in the next world. Meaning you have certain people who um, have a lot of power or... You know, in this world, we look at them and we say, wow, what a fancy person. But in the world to come, not that big of a deal. Kihadr of Yosef, bred of Yeshua ben Levi, of Yosef, the son of Yeshua ben Levi, Chalash, he got sick, and his body, he died. His body left, his, his um, soul left his body, but then he came back to the world. Kihadr, and when he came back to the world, Omelay Avua, so Yeshua ben Levi said to him, my chazis, what did you see in the world to come when you were over there? Amrle. And Rav Yosef said to his father, Rabbi Shoban Levi, this isn't the regular Rav Yosef, this is a different Rav Yosef. Olam isi. I saw an upside down world. El Yonim Lemata. All the people who over here we think are so great, over there they're kind of towards the bottom of the bucket. Well, I don't know if that's the right thing, but they're not so great in the world to come. Vitachtonim the mala, but the people who in this world aren't necessarily so revered um, in the world to come. They're they're very well honored. To which Yeshua ben Levi responded, and he said, "No, actually, you've seen a very clear depiction of how the world should be. Well, you've seen a very clear depiction." Of a world, and then Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi asks, "Where do we? What, where, where is our standing there?" So, 
So his son answered that, well, just like in this world the Talmudic Chachamim are um, honored, so also in the world to come, Talmudic Chachamim are honored. Bishamati show you Omim, and then Rabbi Shub and Levi's son continues, and I heard them saying, that fortunate is a person who has come here with his learning in his hand. And that, again, I think is an appropriate tie-in to my grandfather. Always had his Gemara with him. My grandfather would, my grandmother would say that, you know, just leave my, just leave my grandfather with his Gemara and, 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 and he's happy. And, um, you know, at the time that he passed away, it was, it, he wasn't particularly sick or anything. He was in the hospital. Um, he had a pacemaker put in recently, but he wasn't, uh, you know, it's not like he was sick for a long time. It was pretty sudden. And I was on the phone with him and we were discussing, we had just, it was a very short conversation, um, but we had just begun discussing the Dafyomi when suddenly he had a heart attack and his, um, and, and his soul left his body. And so Mamish, he, he, he died while discussing, um, the Dafayomi, the, the, the Gemaras that he, that was such a big part of his life. So, you know, I think it's appropriate to say that Tamudo Biyado, he always had his learning in his hands, but also, you know, at the time that he passed, he was also in the middle of, of, of learning. Mishamati Shayu Omrim and, um, Says with Yosef, Rabbi Shubh and Levi's son, that I heard that they were saying, and that, that, um, people killed by, by governments for being Jewish. So they are in an extremely special place. Maninu. Now, who are these Haruge Malchus? Who are these people that were killed by the governments that have such a special place. If we're going to say it's Rabbi Akiva, right? Like we learned at the end of Masechta, Brachis, Rabbi Akiva, and then we learned some of the other Asari Rabbi Malchus in other places. But if we say that we're talking about the Asari Rabbi Malchus, like Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues, so Mishuma Rabbi Malchus Vesulo, what, the only reason why they have such a special place is because they were killed by governments. What about the fact that they were, that it's the great Rabbi Akiva? Or the other, um, you know, great people who were killed in Asar Aruge Malchus. El Aruge Lod. Aha, uh-huh. so apparently it says Aruge Lod. It's a Gemara in Tainus, which I do not remember, that, um, there were these two people who sort of took the blame for the whole community to spare the entire community, but they, they themselves got killed. Okay. Now, says the Gemara by Yomahu, and that day, yeah, al-Mitzilo Sasus, Kodesh Lashem, will be on like the decorations of the horses, holy for God. My Mitzilo Sasus, what are these decorations? So, Amr Bishu ibn Levi says, Bishu ibn Levi, Asara Kodesh Baruchu, Lahosaf Ayushalayim, Adshah Shasus Ratsumatsil. So, says Bishu ibn Levi, that in the future, um, the Abishto is going to add on to Jerusalem until the hour that a suit, that a horse can run. Meaning that if you could take a, a horse and run, and it says until run umatzil. Matzil in this case means like from the word sail, which is shade. That, um, that, that, um, the way that shade works, of course, is that the sun shines and then 
the shade, you know, if the sun's in the east, your shade's going to be to the west, and when the sun's in the west, the shade is to the east. But what about when the sun is, um, you know, smack in the middle of the day, right, at Chatzot? So in that case, there's no shade because it's shining right on top. So it just goes straight down. So that's what the Pasuk is saying, that on that day, the, right, that the Abishtah is going to add on to Jerusalem, um, as much as if you would take a horse and it would run until there's no more shade, i.e. from the beginning of the day until midday, um, when the sun is shining directly above. So however far a horse would be able to run during that time, during half a day, so that is how much God is going to um, add on to Jerusalem. That all the decorations that they um, put uh, between the eyes of a horse will be dedicated, donated to the Beis HaMikdash. Rabbi Yochanan Amr says, Rabbi Yochanan called Biza Shabozes in Yisrael at Shosh, Asus Ratz, Umatzil, Yehkodesh Lashem. Says Rabbi Yochanan that all of the booty that they will be able to, um, uh, collect from their enemies, um, that will be dedicated to the Beis HaMikdash. So, Bishlam Leman Dharma called Biza Shabozes in Yisrael. So, I understand, according to Rabbi Yochanan's opinion, that it's talking about all of the spoils that they were be able to pillage and dedicate to the base of Mikdash. Well then, I understand that which is written, it will be that the pots in the house of God will be like the, um, um, like spoons, like these receptacles before the Mizbeach. So like if we're talking about spoils, so okay, so have all kinds of spoils that you will dedicate to the base of Mikdash and there will be, uh, you know, pots and spoons and things. But according to the other two opinions, it's talking about the decorations of horses and and um, adding on to Jerusalem. So what does well, what does that have to do with um, pots and things in the Beis So Well, that's just saying something else. That it just means that the Yidden are going to become wealthy. And then they're going to donate things to the Beis Hamikdash, including pots and spoons. Misham al-Mandamur Biza. I understand according to Mandamur who says spoils. That's why the Pasuk says, That you won't need any Kna'anim, which so I think Pasha would be like non-Jewish people. But uh, in order to do business in the Beis Hamikdash, meaning... The Beis Hamikdash needed to raise funds for all of the things that it does, so there would be the temple treasury, and they would do business with um, uh, external third parties who weren't necessarily Jewish, um, in order to uh, you know keep funds happening. I guess when you donate a sheep to the Berakabais, uh, maybe they talk a uh, sell it or something. I don't know. But then again, maybe they use the sheep. What if you donate Echvesnis to your iPhone? So I guess they got to do something with it. I don't know. Anyways, but. If we say that the Yidin are going to have lots of spoils that they can give to the Beis HaMikdash, well then there's going to be plenty of money and things there and they won't have to uh, do business externally. But according to the other opinions, what does it mean that there won't be any more um, you know over there? So Amr Birmia Ein Kan Oni So Rabbi Yirmiya says, well, according to those opinions, Kna'ani doesn't necessarily mean a non-Jewish merchant. What it means is a, um, ain Kan'ani. That, right, Kna'ani is like Kan'ani, that there won't be any poor people. Okay? 
So I don't know that Kanani is called a merchant. So I guess, I guess maybe you could actually say that Kanani has nothing to do with a non-Jew. Maybe it has to do with simply just merchants. Right, so Kanani is a merchant. So how do you know that Kanani is a merchant? Tichsev, as the Apostle says, Vayasham Yehuda Vas Ish Kanani, that it says by Yehuda and Tamar, that Yehuda saw the daughter of a Kanaanite person. So, and that was Tamar. So, right, was that what, or maybe, no, 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 I don't think that was Tamar. That was, um, no, that was his wife. So he saw the daughter of a, um, Ish Kanani, and his name was Shua, and then he married her. I don't think that, that was Tamar. That was that was his wife, I believe. So now my Kanani. So what's this Kanani in the case of Yehuda marrying his wife? Yilema Kanani Mamish. If it literally means a Canaanite who was not Jewish. So after Avram Vizir Esitzchak. Well, I guess nobody was really Jewish at that point. But but if we say it's a Canaanite, was it possible that Avram warned Yitzchak, don't take anybody from Canaan, and that's why he sent it? Or really, Avram told Eliezer. Don't take you know, his servant. Don't take anybody from my son Avram, um, from my son Yitzchak, from the Canaanite people. Go to um, where did he go? Where, where, was it or Kostim? Wherever he went to get to find Rivka. Where was Rivka? Who could tell me? Lavan? No, I don't think it was or Kostim. Avram came from or Kostim. They were in uh, Haran. Haran. No, that was. Wait, where did Eliezer go? Be'er, no, he left Beersheba and he went to uh, I can't remember. So, so is it possible that um, uh, Avram told you know was was so careful that Yitzchak shouldn't marry a Canaanite, but Yitzchak visits Yaakov, and Yitzchak also sent Yaakov. No, it was a Padan Aram, I think. Padan Aram. I think that that's where it was. And then, and then, um, Yitzchak also told Yaakov, hey, don't marry any Canaanites, go to Padan Aram and find, uh, you know, marry one of my nieces. So, so Yehuda also been Osif, and then Yehuda went and married a Canaanite. How could that possibly be? So, Elam Rabshim ben Lakish Baskavatagra, rather it means that um, Yehuda married the daughter of a merchant. Tichsiv, as the Apostle says, Kanan biyadu mozne mirma, that merchants have these, um, um, false weights. Vibaisema meacha, or you could say it's from this Pasuk, Asher socharea sarim, that its merchants are officers, Kananea, nichbede aretz, and also another way of saying merchants are very honorable. So we see that, um, Kanan is a lashon of a merchant. Says the Gemara Bahaya, Hashem the Melachakolaretz, and God will be the king on all of the land. Bayomahu Anate Yeashem Echad Shmuechad, God will be one, his name will be one. Atu Idnala Bekharu, the Gemara says, What do you mean on that day God will be one? Is he not one now? Amr Baacha Bachanina says Abacha Bachanina lo kolam haza olam haba. This world is not like the world to come. Holam haza Abusaras Tovos, Amabarcha Tova Metiv Abusaras Raos, Omer Barhtaino Emes. That um, in this world, where for for good news we say atov amitiv, and for bad news, of course, we say baruch taino ms. The olam abakulo atov amitiv. Whereas in the world to come, um, it is um, we only say atov amitiv, and of course the tie-in is obvious here to my grandfather that um, on this day the Gemara is talking about 
saying which of course is an appropriate thing to say when somebody passes away. And his name is one. What does it mean? One. Is his name not one now? That the world to come is not like this world. That of course in this world, even when we see God's name written as Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey, nonetheless we read it as Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud. Right? Even though it's written Yud, K, Vav, K, we read it Adonai. Now, the Olam Abba, but in the world to come, Kulo, Echad. It's all going to be the same. Nikra Budei, Venichtav Budei. It's uh, written, Yud Kevavke. We're going to read it, Yud Kevavke. Savarava, Lemidrasha, Papirka. Rava thought to teach about Yud Kevavke in the, um, in the Shir. Omerle, Ausava, and a certain elder said to him, Now, of course, often when, so, so there's a Toysfis in Chulin, apparently, on that Vav, I think. That um, whenever it says Ahusava, it means Eliyahu Navi. But I don't know that it's always Eliyahu Navi. But in in this in this case, it could definitely be uh, Eliyahu Navi. That Amalei uh, Ahusava, a certain elder said to Rava, Alam Ksif, right? That the pasuk says that Shmi Olam This is my name forever, and this is how I will be remembered for all generations. So it doesn't say Leolam with a vav. It says Leolam without a vav, which means like Haalama to be hidden. That God should be hidden. Don't go and expound in a Torah class the, you know, how, how to pronounce God's names and name and all about God's name. Rabbavina Rami, Rabbavina asked the question, Ksiv, on the one end it says, Zeshmila Olam, that this is my, um, name, like Zeshmila Olam, and we said that Alam is like Ha'alama to be hidden, so on the one end it says, this is my name, sort of in a hidden way, but then it says, this is how I should be remembered, but remembering is like, more public. So I'm a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Lok shani nichtav ani nikra, nichtav ani biyodei v'nikra ani ba'alat dalit. So God says, yeah, but the way that I'm written is not the way that I am read. Um, you know, my name is written with yud ke vav ke, but pronounced alaf dalit nun yud hajon alach elu ovrin. We'll come back to elu ovrin. Um, it was cool to have that Agadita after a while. As I mentioned yesterday, Psachim I think has been great in my opinion, but there hasn't been so much in the Agadita department, but I think that we got some Gishmaka and Yanim over here. I was always trying to remember where, where I saw Olam Hafuch Raisi. Such a Gishmaka Gemara. And it's over here, Psachim and Nun. New parak, parak, the fourth parak. Makum Shinoagulasas so, in a place where the minig is that they do melacha, that they do work on Erev uh, Pesach, so then they do work until Chatzos. So you can do work until Chatzos, and then that's it, you get ready for Pesach. But if the minig in the city is not to do melacha at all on Erev Pesach, so then don't do melacha at all. Now what if you're leaving city A and you're going to city B? Now in city A, the minig is to do malacha on Erev Pesach. In city B, the minig is not to do malacha on Erev Pesach. Oh, or if you're going from city B to city A, city B, they uh, don't do malacha, of course, on Erev Pesach. And in city A, they do malacha on Erev Pesach. So, 
we apply to him the stringencies of the place that he left from and the place that he's going to, essentially being that the only time that you can do Malacha on Erev Yom Tif is if you live in a place that they do not do that 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 they do do malach on erev yomtiv, and you're also in that place. But and I, I'm sorry, on on, on erev pesach. But you know, if you're if you live in a place where they do malach, but you're going to a place where they don't do malach, or you live in a place where they don't do malach, but you're going to a place that they do do malach, and you take the stringencies of the you know of of whatever whatever the more stringent view is, and therefore you wouldn't do any malacha on erev pesach. The only time you do malacha is if you live in a place where they do malacha on erev pesach. And you're in that place. You didn't travel to a place where they don't do malacha. And a person shouldn't change because of machlokas. And Rashi says the Gemara is going to have to explain what that means. Um, because we just said that if, for example, you come from a place where they don't do malacha, and now you're going to a place where they do do malacha, you don't do malacha. But if we're saying don't change because of machlokas, and it sounds like you should just do whatever the place that you're doing is doing. So uh, Rashi says the Gemara is going to explain kayotzebo, and similarly, hamolach peris shviyas. Somebody who's taking um, Shemitah fruits. So the way it works with Shemitah is that there's a concept of as long as there is um, still food out in the fields for the animals to eat so you can keep a stash in your house. But once there's no longer any food available in, in the fields for the animals to eat, well then you can't be hoarding a stash in your house on Shemitah. So if you're going to, so let's say in City A, they already uh, ran out of food in the field so everyone's got to take out their private stashes. But in City B, they haven't yet run out of food. So now, the Gemara, the Mishnah says, Kayotzibo, similarly, Amolech Peris Shviyas, somebody's taking Shemitah fruits. From, city A, where they already ran out of fruit in the field. Um, so, everyone has to take their stash from their houses and bring it out. Now you're taking these fruits to a place where they haven't yet run out in the fields and people still have private stashes. Or you're coming from a place where they haven't run out, so people have private stashes. Lamakum Shakalu to a place where they have run out in the field, and therefore everyone had to take out their stashes. So Chayev Levaer, um, you are going to have to get rid of whatever fruit you took because we take the stringencies of both places into account. Rabbiuda Omer say, Rabbiuda Omer say Vahave Loch Af Ato. So Rabbiuda says that we say to him. Go and bring your own or something. And Rashi also says we're going to have to explain what that means. Okay? Now the Gemara wants to ask, Interesting. So the Gemara says, what's so special about Erev Pesach? Now we're signaling it out for not doing Malacha. Um, even Erev Shabbos and Erev Yom Tif, we don't do Malacha. The time is we learn in the Bible. Somebody does melacha on Erev Shabbos or Erev Yom Tif mina minchul lamayla from uh, the mincha and on, from the time to say mincha and onwards. So Rashi gives two options. Um, either it means nine and a half hours and on or six and a half hours and on into the day. Of course, we know from the fourth parak of Brachis what that means. Basically, either from mincha gdola, mincha ktana, but uh, yeah, six and a half hours on a perfect day from 12.30 or maybe uh, from 9.30. No, uh, 3.30. Okay. In Urasim and Bracha Olam, he's never going to see any um, um, signs of blessing from his work. So, no. So, what's so special about Erev Pesach, where we're saying you wouldn't do Malacha after Chatzot, when we already know that every Shabbos and Yom Tif, you don't do Malacha from Mincha and onward. 
So the Gemara answers Hasam Mina Mincha Ulamaila Uda Asr Samach Mincha Lo. Well, yeah, by Shabbos Nantim it says from Mincha and onwards. Mincha, the earliest time for Mincha is, you know, 12.30 on a perfect day. But Chatzos, which is what the Mishnah here is talking about, is, is earlier than that, which is already from 12. Okay. So Achami Chatzos, right? But here it's already from Chatzot. It's going to be also Inami, or else you could say, Hosom Simen Bracho Udalachazi, by Shabbos and Yom Tiv. So it says that he won't see any blessing from his work. We don't excommunicate him. Wow. But over here, if you're in a city where they don't, where the minig is not to do work, and you do work, not only will you not see any blessing from the, your work, but will excommunicate you. Wow. Better be careful. Says the Gemara, Gufa, we said earlier, I was a Melacha by Shabbasus, by Yom Tovim. Somebody does Melacha, and I have Shabbos, or Yom Tif, Mina Mincha, the Maila, from Mincha and onwards, Umutsoy Shabbos, Umutsoy Yom, Umutsoy Yom Tif, Umutsoy Yom Akipurim, or if he does work on Mutsoy Shabbos, or on Mutsoy Yom Tif, or Mutsoy Yom Kippur, Umvuchom Akum Shiesham Nidnudavera, or any place where there is like a smell even of an Aveir, La Suye, to include Tanis Tzibor. For example, if there's a public fast day because there's no rain and everyone's, you know, taking it very seriously and they're fasting, so then don't do Malacha. And if you do Malacha in any of these places, you're not going to see signs of blessing. There are people who are very you know, active in their work and they, and they succeed. Now people are very active in their work and they do not succeed. There are people who are, um, uh, you know, don't, don't do very much work and they, um, nonetheless, uh, merit. And there are those who don't do very much work and they lose. Zarz Viniskar, what's an example of somebody who does a lot of work and he succeeds? The Ovid Kule Shabbat of Ovid Maile Shabbata. Well, if you work all week, but comes Erev Shabbos, you, you take a break. Probably from Mincha and onwards. Zarz Vinifsad, the Ovid Kule Shabbata, the Ovid Maile Shabbata. Somebody who works, is a workaholic, and, um, he loses out, is somebody who works all week long, and he also works all the way up to Shabbos. Shafa Viniskar, somebody who is, um, you know, doesn't necessarily work so much, but he nonetheless, is, uh, you know, meritorious to lo avid kule shabbat, to lo avid male shabbat, that he doesn't work all week, but he also doesn't work on Erev Shabbos. Shafa v'nifsad, to lo avid kule shabbat, to lo avid male shabbat, and if you sort of don't work all week, and for some reason the only time you work is on Erev Shabbos, well then, uh, you're going to lose out. Amur Rava says, Rava haninashi de Mechoza, the women of Mechoza, where Rava lived, the male shabbat, on Erev Shabbos, Amarava Rava says, What did I just do? I think I read the same line price twice. That the women in Mechoza, even though they don't do Malacha on Erev Shabbos, so that is really just because Mechoza was a very wealthy city, so they didn't have to do any work in general. They don't even work during the week, but nonetheless, we still consider them shuffle v'niskar. Somebody who doesn't work all week and also doesn't work uh, on Erev Shabbos, and therefore we give them a reward. 
Rafa Rami, Rav asked the question, Ksiv, on the one hand, the Pasuk says, Kigadol ad shemaim chastecha. It says that, um, your kindness is great until the heavens. Ksiv, and it also says, Kigadol meal shemaim chastecha. That your greatness is, um, that, that your kindness is as great as above the heavens. So is the kindness until the heavens or above the heavens? Or greater than the heavens? Okay, it said, how is this? Kan bose, the shema. Depends if you're doing the what you're doing the Shema, that you're doing the mitzvahs because you want to be doing mitzvahs versus if you're doing the mitzvahs for some ulterior ulterior motive. Person should always do Torah mitzvahs even not for not because you want to be doing the Torah mitzvahs itself even for ulterior motives because. Um, out of starting to do them for ulterior motives, you will end up doing them for their sake. And that's why it says that, you know, even when you do Mitzvah Shalolishma, it's still, you know, Kigadol Ad Shemaim Chazdecha, that your kindness is as great as, until the heavens. There's still reward, there, there's still, um, you know, good vibes associated with what you're doing, um, but it's not as great as if you do it Lishma for its own sake. Somebody who um, counts on his, uh, you know, the income coming from his wife or from a mill doesn't see any blessing forever. And what does this mean? So, so what it means is that, you know, somebody who, who, who's depending on his wife going out to the market and with like a scale and kind of having a scale for rent for people who might need to weigh things in the market um, that, 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 that that's not gonna that, that's not good you're not gonna you're not gonna get much income from that meaning and you see it uh, in Shukmachni Yehuda people selling all sorts of like things that people don't really need um, you know and it's sad how, how much money can you expect to make from you know, a person going around with, uh, with, with a scale and maybe accept a penny here and there just so that somebody can weigh something. I mean, right, um, that's not, uh, you know, better to go into something where you have real potential to, 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 to make a parnasa. You can end up walking around all day, busy work, hard work with not much reward. Not, not even much potential for reward. Rechaya, and what does it mean? A mill? So agrisa also to um, get um, you know to have like a hand mill that people could pay you to like grind something. Again, it's something that you're going to be schlepping around all day. And how much money can you make from offering to grind things for people with a hand mill? Avav, but listen to this. But if your wife, um, you know, is in the scale or the mill hand mill business meaning she makes them and sells them and, and 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 she's a business and she makes a good living well then great the pasuk says in Ashes Chayil at the end of uh, Mishlei Sodan that she makes fine um, garments and she sells them so meaning so there are certain things that you can do to make a living that just don't really have very much potential to to make much money so therefore that, that you're not really going to see a simon bracha. But if, uh, you know, you go into a business, then, then great. All the, all the blessings in the world. 
um, which is also interesting because the Gemara at the end of Kedushin says, right, that, uh, what was it? Something like that. That, um, you know, any profession can have people who are successful and who are not successful. But the Gemara over here seems to be saying that, you know, it's within limit. You know, how much money can you possibly make from hiring out a scale in the Shuk? Somebody who makes a living from selling like reeds and 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 like pitchers, he's not going to see blessing forever. My time interesting because since if you're selling like reeds and things, well you're gonna have to take a whole big bundle of reeds and walk around town with a whole big bundle of reeds and you know whether or not you make a lot of money, whether or not you can make a lot of money from it. But, you know, you, because you're walking around with a lot of stuff, there's an ayin hara involved. Like, hey, wow, who's this fancy guy with all this stuff? And there's just kind of like negative energies, um, you know, floating around. Taner Abanan, the rabbis taught, Tagre Simta, uh, merchants who um, are in like the public streets, Magadli Bey Madaka, and people who raise uh, animals like sheep and goats and things. The quotes would say, Ilanus Tovus, and people who chop down trees. Or people, whenever you're dividing things up with other people, there, if there's like one person who always makes sure to save for himself the best part. And he's never going to have any blessing. My time out come to Tobe and Sheikh. Because people are kind of like startled by these people. You know, somebody who's always making sure to look out for his own benefit, uh, as opposed to anybody else. You know, people are like, hey, what's the deal with this guy? This guy in his chutzpah or, or, uh, you know, somebody who chops down trees. Like, why the heck are you chopping down trees? Right? So each one of these things has, like, kind of things why people might be a little bit perturbed and therefore it won't end up long-term leading to blessing. Tanya, we learn in a, uh, no, Tanya Rabbanan, the rabbis taught, Dalad Prutos in Boen Simen Brachal Olam. There are four, um, Prutas, coins that don't have any blessing, meaning there are four ways to make money that even though you make money, uh, it's not going to be particular Particularly, um, I don't know, flowing. You're not gonna have a lot of money. So, schar kosvin, um, scribes, v'schar meturgmanin, and people meturgman. Meturgman was a role where, like on Shabbos, you would stand next to the teacher, and he would, the teacher would kind of tell the this meturgman, this translator, and then the meturgman would kind of had, I guess, a strong voice, and he would expound it to everybody. V'schar yisomim, somebody who represents the interests of orphans, however, it takes a cut, takes a piece of the pie. And money that comes from overseas, meaning if you have somebody who's in business and he's always sending out his boats to very dangerous places. Interesting. So, I understand why the money, the income of a maturgaman, of a translator, uh, is not going to be particularly significant, particularly large. Because it seems like he's working on Shabbos, right? It seems like his only job is that on Shabbos he uh, expounds the shir. So, because it's Shabbos, Shabbos, um, that's why it won't be particularly blessed. Or at least it looks like it. I understand why somebody who represents the interests of orphans and takes a cut. So, well, it's because they're too young. They're not really, they don't really... They don't have the knowledge, the ability to properly give this person um, their inheritance. So, therefore, it's, I assume the point is that it's kind of like stealing it. 
and money that comes from overseas. Well, because miracles aren't going to happen just every single day. And therefore, um, you know, if you're always sending your boats into dangerous places, it sounds like it's probably high risk and high reward. So while maybe it'll work out in a bunch of cases, uh, eventually it's not going to work out. Ella, but what's wrong? With scribes, why should scribes be unable to make a, a, a good living? So Interesting. It says Rabbi Yishuv Levi that the Anche Knesses Agadola, they fasted twenty-four fasts so that scribes, people who write Sifrei Torah, Tefillin, and Mezuzis, should not become wealthy. Well, because if they become wealthy. Well, then they're not going to need the money, and they're going to not be writing Sifritar, Tzfil, and Mezuzas, and there's going to be a shortage. So in order to make sure that they would um, always be writing, they fasted 24 times to make sure that the scribes should not become wealthy. Now, Tana Rabbana, the rabbis taught, People who write Sifritar, Tzfil, and Mezuzas, them and their merchants and their merchants' merchants, and anybody who um, works in uh, the work of God, i.e., uh, in the sale of these holy um, writings, the Isui Mochritrelis, and that's even to include um, people who sell tzitzis, they're never going to see like blessings in their work meaning it's not going to be so plentiful and they're not going to make tons of money. But Vim Oskin the Shema Roin. However, there's a, there, there's one detail, which is if they um, work Lishma for the sake of providing people with Sifitara, Tfilim, Azuzus, well then they could see plenty of, of, of blessings. So it sounds like these fasts that the Anshiknesha Sagadola fasted was uh, only to a, a, a degree. That was only if um, they weren't necessarily writing it the Shema for the right intentions but if they're writing the Shema so great they should also be able to enjoy a good living B'nai Baishan these people of this place the sons of this place called Baishan Nog Delo Azlin Delo Azlin Mitzur Litzidon B'mahle Shabbato they had a minig that they wouldn't travel from Tzur to Tzidon on Erev Shabbos there was a certain market that they had in Tzidon and the minig was that they wouldn't travel to this market on Erev Shabbos so also Banayu came to Yochanan. Now their sons, their descendants, came to Yochanan. Amrulo and they said to Yochanan, "Avhasin Efshalu. Look, our fathers were wealthy. They were able to take off on Friday and uh, not go to the market. Anun Baras Lo Efshalan. We need to make a living. We need to go to this market on Friday." Amrulo Yochanan said to them, "Kvakiblo Abuseichem Aleim. Your fathers have already." Um, uh, accepted upon themselves not to go to the market in Sidon, so therefore don't go. Um, listen, my son, to the um, teachings of your father, and do not abandon the Torah of your mother, so therefore you should also um, refrain from going to this market on Erev Shabbos. That was the afternoon of Mesechta Psachim. Uh, it was a, kind of like a light daf, pretty fun, pretty cool. Um, yeah, we talked about Olam Hafuch Raisi, which I thought was a that was a cool Gemara that I had forgotten where it was, but here it is. Um, yeah, we talked about local Olam Haza, Olam Haba, and some interesting uh, things over there. And of course, remembering uh, my grandfather, uh, Rabbi Ruven Ben Chaim, Yizich Baruch. All right, have a great day. Peace out.